Welcome to Hashing It Out, a podcast where we talk to the tech innovators behind blockchain infrastructure and decentralized networks. We dive into the weeds to get at why and how people build this technology and the problems they face along the way. Come listen and learn from the best in the business so you can join their ranks. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Hashing it out. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Corey Petty. With me, my trusty co-host, Colin Couchet. Say what's up, everybody, Colin. What's up, everybody, Colin? Nice. Today, uh, we are uh, excited to bring on um, some proponents of the Open Libra Project. We have Lucas Geiger and Zaki Mannion, again, for the third time, coming back and seeing us. Um, talk about what Open Libra was, how it differentiates itself from uh, Libra, and why it it could potentially be quite useful uh, for the world. So um, let's do the normal starts. Lucas, why don't you uh, tell us kind of um, how you got into this space and introduce into Libra, Open Libra. Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks for, for having us on. Um, let's see. I mean, I've been an entrepreneur for 15 years. I'm embarrassed to say at this point. Um, I've um, been working mostly with fintech projects, and um, I got into the space as I was following Ethereum. So I, I had been following Bitcoin uh, as it came out, but it was really following following Vitalik that uh, really blew my mind open into this space. Did but I, I was but I was working on a different uh, startup at the time, doing uh, analytics for the iOS, Google Play, and, and Amazon app stores. Um, but then as I started, uh, you know, getting deeper into the blockchain space, I, I founded a company called uh, a project a protocol called Wireline. Um, that is a decentralized application framework and uh, and network. And as we've been working through that, I, I led the economics team there. And as we started hearing more about Facebook, I started thinking about well, how could that get integrated into existing blockchain networks, the, the Libra stablecoin. And it became clear as we started hearing more and more about it that it was going to be a walled garden. and that you know, any amount of collateral that you had in the Libra network could be sort of seized at any time if you intended to have it circulating in your network. So I spoke with you know a number of, of the leaders of, of our space here, or the the at least the the cypherpunk version of the blockchain space, and started formulating well, what would be an appropriate response to Facebook? How do we reappropriate anything that they uh, that they developed that is quite is that would be useful? And so we came up with a with a, a, a movement or, or a name for a movement that we call Open Libra. And there'd be many, many projects that could use that that brand, but we're going to try and, and, and formulate an umbrella for any and a space for anybody that wants to create a um, create create a response, have a response to corporate coins, generally speaking, and starting with with Libra project. So that's a bit of a longer intro that you're probably expecting. Yeah, that's fine. Zaki, what about you? How'd you get involved with this? Um, so that's fine. <laughs> I love that, Corey. That's, that's sure, that's good. good. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Yeah, good enough. <laughs> that's uh, pretty interesting stuff, Lucas. Thanks. Yeah, so 
Um, I think the your you know most of your listeners will be you know will probably run into me somewhere else in the uh, blockchain media space. So I won't go too deep into my uh, background, but um, where I sort of I mean what what what's been sort of shocking about this year is you know in many ways um, a lot of the vision that like started with Jay Kwan and like. Uh, you know, uh, I was an early contributor to Ethan, uh, sort of a lot of components of just like work and thought over the last five or six years have suddenly sort of like blossomed into reality um, in 2019, but all in kind of like this very like compressed way. Um, and so I, you know, when I, you know, uh, sort of had been, you know, hearing about the Libra project for a while, um in in inside of facebook um before it was public um you know uh had been sort of uh uh been aware that they'd looked at tendermint um but was honestly quite surprised um you know when the public announcement came out um and the source code was open that i'm like oh i started looking and i'm like this is tendermint um this is this is tendermint and uh, it's frankly like kind of shocking to see, um, you know, while we were while we were working really hard in 2018, uh, sort of getting Tenderman and the Cosmos SDK production ready uh, to launch the Cosmos Hub, uh, Facebook had an entire team of engineers re-implementing exactly basically this uh, an extremely similar design, a design that was inspired by Jay's earlier work. Um, and so the minute I saw that, I'm like, okay, like. Uh, you know, on one hand, uh, uh, this is a huge validation of the design and the work. This is clearly a bunch of engineers who have built many real systems and real distributed systems that serve many millions of people. Uh, were had had looked at our work and was like, this is the the right architecture and the right design. But we we also sort of looked at this. I also looked at it. and I'm like, you know, we we sort of designed all of this stuff. Uh, to be our our vision of Tendermint, our vision of all this stuff is really as a as a tool of human liberation, um, and we weren't just building this to like uh, our our vision was not to sort of empower like nation states and large corporations as much as it was uh, people, um, and it sort of was a, a little bit of a call to arms. I think for Jay and myself, uh, we're all responding to it in different ways for everyone in our project, but like we need to respond to the uh, uh, the adoption of our technology by existing entities with great power in the and in the world and figure out how it is that we uh, how the how it is that we continue to pursue the mission of like sort of economic liberty and social coordination and uh, so you know uh, my participation in the open Libra project is mostly sort of not as a tendermint employee or um, as part of but as part of the larger Cosmos ecosystem, um, inclusion as a whole is very interested in the Libra code base. Uh, we have a number of projects that we've been working on uh, sort of related to the Libra code base. And we'll go into more detail about uh, what and why that is, but uh, we have, uh, uh, so we've been contributing to the Open Libra project and helping them spin up uh, dev nets and writing tooling for that. Awesome. That's so, like the obvious question, I think from here, um, why start something new? Why make a clone and repurpose a lot of the stuff that Libra is doing and not try and build on one of the ecosystems that currently exists? Is it not um, 
supporting those ideals enough? Lucas, why don't you go ahead and start, start off? Well, sure. So here's the, the thing that I think is sort of, I think that that's the hardest part of what Facebook is doing is that if they actually launch this, um, it's going to become kind of the de facto smart contract platform out there. Not, not by any other, not for any other reason than the sheer scale that they have and the partners that they have. Yeah. And current, so current market reach goes a long way in terms of, uh, putting things in the hands of users that, um, don't have much of a choice. Yeah. And so the question then is, do we want to, through advocacy, try and get those developers that will eventually, that are tempted today to go to Facebook or that are, um, or on Facebook once it launches, do we, through advocacy or other means, try to convince them to come to other smart contracting platforms? Or do we create some kind of an off-ramp for them or, or, or a net that we can catch them before that they, they would go to the Facebook space? And so, you know, we, we've talked about this a lot internally, like, you know, one interesting approach would be, you know, when ETH 2.0 launches and they have execution environments that we could have a move execution environment and uh, a stable coin there. Um, but, you know, but, and that could be, could be a strategy uh, that could be an open Libra project at, at some point. Um, but I think I'm maybe, I'm more, I'm, so I'm more persuaded by the internet of blockchains story. And I think that at least having one chain that operates similarly enough that has that has compatibility with the libra chain will help us uh, advocate for developers um, but also maybe bend facebook in the in the right direction um, it gives us a little more leverage on what they're doing so i think i think there are many open libra projects that could exist but i think there should be one chain at least that is a, um, that is perfectly compatible, but I think there, there are many there are many alternatives and, and many options and a lot of projects that are under the Open Libra umbrella that could be implemented in, say, Ethereum or or say directly in the, in the Cosmos uh, ecosystem. So, I guess I'll take my stab at this, which is, I think the thing that is worth really remembering about the current crypto ecosystem is how small the current crypto ecosystem is. Um, it's small in terms of developers, it's small in terms of users, it's small in terms of assets under management. Um, even though we've had this like 10x growth um, kind of over the last uh, two years, um, that meant that took it from completely insignificant in terms of all of these things to mildly interesting. Yeah. Um, buzzworthy. Yeah, buzzworthy. We're still a long we're still a long way from the level of adoption that makes uh, a sort of first mover advantage um, like uh, an obvious sort of overwhelmingly dominant force. Um, and what we you know, everyone in the, you know, who's been working on sort of the cypherpunk end of the cryptocurrency spectrum has been working to like organically build network effects. 
But the reality of the world is there are large networks and large network effects that already exist. Um, and if our technology is adopted, uh, you know, cypherpunk technology is, is adopted, you know, it's like, uh, you know, I think the, I think the best example is um, with the signal protocol um, and WhatsApp, you know, uh, you know, uh, Moxie and Trevor started out building signal, you know, uh, onboarded people who were mostly in sort of the activist political and privacy communities, uh, adopt, you know, got a couple hundred thousand users uh, at the time, but like, you know, it was like, and then they convinced the WhatsApp founders to adopt the signal protocol and they flipped a switch and turned on a billion users on end encrypted messaging using the signal protocol. Um, you know, and, and that was a huge, that was, you know, that again, that's, that's, that is the power of cypherpunk technology being adopted by existing large scale networks. Um, and so we don't know, um, and there's a lot of complexity, which we're going to, I'm sure we're going to dig into, uh, how successful Facebook is going to be um, with bringing any of, or any of the other players uh, uh, that are like large uh, in the world, like the Communist Party of China or any of these other large significant players that are exploring these technologies that we all helped uh, come into existence. But if they do actually succeed in that way, um, there's going, they have this possibility of bringing enormous networks, enormous developer relations resources, enormous, uh, you know, sort of uh, distribution channels to this space. And when we, when we see those things adopted, it is worthwhile as sort of someone on the cypherpunk end of things to figure out how it is that we are going to reinterpret, reappropriate, uh, operate within a context um, where, where these sorts of things are happening um, and certainly not ignore it. Yeah, so I'll riff a bit on Saki saying, um, I think that there's this there's a sense of inevitability in the in the in the cypherpunk end of the of the cryptocurrency spectrum, that that permissionless and and trustless networks will win eventually, no matter what. But I I actually think that we're losing, and 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 I think next year it's going to be it's going to be a, a, an uphill battle for for all of us um, with these hyperscale cor corporate currencies like Facebook's. And on the other end of the spectrum is the China uh, blockchain project. And I think that's something that I think is remarkably is not being talked about enough. Um, I think that those two networks um, are going to probably take up the majority of, let's say, I hate to use this word, but the more legitimate uh, use cases out there. So use cases that are closer to the mainstream that aren't, let's say, in the renegade or, or DeFi space. Um, I think those two, those two networks on their own are going to take up a majority of the use cases. So yeah, yeah I can see that. I can see where you're coming from with that, and especially because China has such a global dominance in in. I mean, and they are so keen to adopt things that are centralized. And one of the points that I really wanted to bring up earlier, but my mic wasn't working, so I couldn't get it out. Apologize. Is um, I looked at the open the Open Libra website, and you're very clearly saying this is a distributed system, not a decentralized distributed system. 
Now, I think that it's interesting when I hear Zaki talk about the first principles of cypherpunks, yada, yada, yada. One of the things that we were striving for is this idea of who controls this. And I don't see how the system you're building will be any different than the system that Facebook would build, except that you would be doing it with people you trust and you don't trust Facebook. So how are you actually differentiating the open Libra project from the actual Libra project if they're both not technically decentralized? Oh, I, I, there must be some, some misunderstanding there. I think, first of all, we're, we haven't made any claims as to how we want this network to launch, but we're very clear that we need a, such a system to be as inclusive as possible, as decentralized as possible, permissionless to the to the maximum extent possible. So uh, I, I see. I actually misread something. So yeah, you're right. You're you're saying that you don't like the Libra platform because it's distributed, and not decentralized. So you're going to be attacking this in a decentralized way. Then, so I, what, we, what we really want to create is the space for folks that are interested in the cypherpunk approach to blockchains and cryptocurrency to create something that is going to have uh, sufficient reach by taking advantage of, by, 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 by using um, the technologies that these large hyperscale networks are, are building. Uh, let's use it to our advantage. That's, that's as simple, uh, simply as I could put it, I think. How do you so do that? What, is, what is the design approach? Yeah, exactly. How do you do that? How do you get over, for instance, message scaling problems? Um, considering that like Facebook would be using hot stuff, which um, uh, O of, oh, is it O of N? That's what I think Saki was referring to, I believe, it, earlier when he was saying that it's their implementation yeah. is very, very, very similar to Tendermint. Yeah, so so uh, you know what problems are Tendermint facing? What what does Open Libra hope to do differently? How are we going to keep this decentralized? What is what is backing this? These are all questions I still have. Um, so I'm mostly of the opinion that um, the like consensus protocols are probably like not really, especially in the post 2019 era, like a hugely differentiating factor around decentralization. Um, uh, I don't, uh, I think, you know, like we have, uh, we have, I've, I've, I've sort of been very much taking the position that essentially consensus protocols are over, um, that we have, uh, three parts in the asynchronously safe design space, uh, like stellar with federated and Byzantine agreement, um, like sort of tendermint hot stuff, which is sort of just, uh, uh, a nearly optimal implementation of and like robust implementation of classical BFT uh, consensus um, that you know easily scales so you know to uh, hundreds and thousands of nodes um, participating in a consensus and architecture and Snowman um, from the Avalanche team, uh, which gives you which uses you know uh, a, a probabilistic approach but gives you uh, you know efficiencies when if if somehow we could get to millions of consensus nodes. Uh, but essentially given that like where we're at right now, like consensus protocols are, I think, essentially over um, at, in terms of what I think of as like a real, as like important, interesting pieces. Um, and we're mostly into this new space where we have to think about um, 
economics, uh, uh, like economics, uh, incentives, uh, coordination problems, uh, uh, collateral efficiency, uh, uh, you know, composability between blockchains, um, exits from existing, like how do you exit a system into another system? Uh, all of these little like higher level things um, are by far more dominant than sort of these like questions that we've spent a lot of the last five years sort of obsessing over. But um, we've gotten to a place now um, where we have enough stuff is technically mature that we don't re that like this is not no longer the where the interesting problem is. Yeah, I second that. I mean, you know, we went through this phase of, of I guess, the ICO bubble and hype where you know, there was all this consensus porn going around, everybody optimizing their different <laughs> like consensus. Name. Yeah, different consensus algorithm. And you get and that's where you get a lot of the professor coins coming in and, and whatnot. But but frankly, you know, we, we all know that consensus is, is more expensive than the alternative, but right now we, we're struggling right now to have use cases that are willing to spend uh, the money needed to 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 put transactions on, on chain. So for me, it's it's obvious that the problem is in the space of, of a product is in, in problem with of use cases and um, and network effects. And it's that's still an unsolved problem. Now, get, getting back to your question about, you know, how, how do we make this more decentralized and more permissionless than Facebook? Well, I think I think the bar is actually quite low to do that. And um, Cosmos has actually done a, a, a you know a really good job of showing that this is possible. I mean that's that's what's interesting about the Cosmos um, experiment. What do you mean by that? Is that like is the bar low because of the economic distribution within the network? Yes, because the economic distribution of Facebook is you know a handful of of hyper hyperscale corporations and venture capitalists that uh, have an equity interest in this uh, the equivalent of a Swiss LLC. And that's, for the foreseeable future, the only uh, way of participating in the governance of the, of the network. Then what's success? Uh, what's success in terms of decentralization? Because obviously the bar is really low. Um, if you look at any level of decentralization, I'd say Libra is, um, is, is a, at least at, at surface level, is a success from how things currently run because they've asked other people, albeit they're more likely their friends, and uh, to to join in to what would be the consensus of Libra. That's a that's a drastic step in what we would consider the right direction of managing such a such a platform. Um, what is success for Open Libra to take that even further? I think if we got to where the Cosmos Hub is and and the direction that they're in i think that's a that's a terrific start i mean i i have a dream you know my vision is is been pretty <laughs> i have a dream <laughs> yeah i have a dream here which is that basically if there are is an affinity group of people uh who want to share a technical infrastructure for their economic coordination it should be possible for them to um use a blockchain as the dominant as like the primary organizing mechanism of that affinities groups like technical and economic coordination um 
That's really the goal. And so like, you know, this, well, now what do I mean by affinity group? I mean, like literally uh, uh, everything from, you know, uh, uh, municipality to uh, uh, union to uh, club to a bunch of people who like to play video games online. Um, if they if there's if if they have needs that you know if we can a lower the barrier to entry uh, small enough uh, uh, far enough and they uh, uh, and we can and we can make these tools easy enough to use uh, we should be able to get to the point where basically you can spit up a shared state machine easily uh, uh, amongst these group amongst these groups and that that gets you the decentralization. I see. I, I typically refer to these things, what you, what you were describing as uh, micro communities um, and the advent of blockchain adds a micro economy to this, which actually gives it a lot of like um, real human like interaction across uh, contribution in those in those micro economies and allowing people to be able to spin those up within the context of whatever they care about and interoperate with the other things that they care about. Like with, like with the value flows of those things is, in my opinion, the future or the vision of what all of this is. Now, I guess from, from what I from what I understand, based on the amount of effort you're putting into this, you feel Facebook will co-opt that, um, and um, a lot of this effort is to show that it doesn't have to be done that way and give people uh, an option elsewhere. So. What my worry is, or what my concern is, is that unaddressed, um, you know, in without uh, without significant effort on our part, um, what could happen is um, is is the is a is the corporation, you know, large large multinational global corporations um, that are all. Um, in for for a variety of different reasons, all looking towards um, uh, blockchain technologies as new sources of revenue, new sources of uh, new abilities to exert influence. Um, do the go to market and the product market fit to these large scale networks that they already have access to? Uh, those are the technologies that most developers use, and the only place then to deploy those technologies are in spaces that they that you know those corporations have sort of founded and established um and we basically don't get any real sort of fundamental human Im uh, uh improvement in conditions because what we just did is we went from being okay like you can watch an app and connect to the facebook api and you can use uh, you know facebook's payment rails there um to you can launch a smart contract on the Libra blockchain and use Libra's payment rails. Uh, but you know, there's just like Facebook can evict you from you know uh, uh, the Facebook Pay project. Um, the open the Libra uh, uh, governance can uh, can evict you from the Libra blockchain and all of your investment in that technical stack, in that knowledge, expertise, etc., um, uh, goes away. Uh, and what is the world that we're trying to build? We're trying to build a, a world in which you can safely invest time and energy and expertise and capital uh, 
understanding and learning about and becoming an expert in a technology, knowing that there will always be networks that you can deploy that technology into. Uh, because there is no choke point where, you, where if you're said no to there, there's nowhere else to go. That makes a lot of sense. I, I, I can see how that would be quite valuable so that people always have somewhere to go with the experience they gain. Um, a lot of that stuff. And I, well, how, does, how does economics come into play? You, you, Zach, you mentioned that consensus is, um, we're not going to call it dead or done, but like innovation, there doesn't seem to be a tremendous amount of uh, potential innovation there. We kind of know how consensus works. We just need to build implementations and things that use it, so on and so forth. But like the, the, a lot of the questions is the economics or crypto economics, whatever you end up calling it, of how value flows within these systems. And I feel like Lucas, that's what you bring a lot to the table. And what, like, and what, what are you worried about? Like this F Facebook's attempt to do Libra had you worried about something, and was that from an economics perspective, or just kind of how you feel they're going to how they're going to do it? Yeah, I think there are a number of, of concerns with how they're they're going about it. Um, I mean, let's start with perhaps what I think is compelling about about Libra. Um, I think that a global, what I call inflation-stable asset that could be deployed to billions of people is compelling. And I'm, and I'm not quite agnostic to it, but I, but I think it would be interesting for, to get it no matter who it comes from to, to a certain degree. Um, but I think the trouble that we have with the Facebook approach is that, first of all, it's backed again in just regular currencies, and so it, it doesn't really get us to the to the idea of a of a government independent currency. So I think there's an implementation question there, but I also think that they chose that design for regulatory, but also for strategic negotiation with, uh, for purposes for negotiating with large nation states. We can talk about that in a minute. But I think the overall design of the Libra ecosystem is, a, uh, it's, it's designed as a full reserve bank. So a lot of people, so this may not be familiar to, to everyone, but there are, there's a certain type of bank and you have these in sort of, they're very niche banks and you have them, uh, all over the world, usually for offshore, usually in offshore locations. But the appeal of the of the full reserve bank is that they don't lend out any capital. So all the assets that are put into checking accounts, they remain in checking accounts, and there's and that's its purpose. It's it's to be the most secure type of bank out there. Uh, it's not a great business if you're running a, a full reserve bank because you need to collect fees from the actual depositors, really, mm -hmm. uh, or try to offer other services onto it. But Libra is designed as a full reserve bank, meaning the end users who want to hold Libra, a Libra coin, they have to buy it through an authorized reseller, probably something like Coinbase. And then Coinbase has the ability to issue Libra into your wallet. Uh, and then has the obligation of taking that dollar that you bought your Libra for and putting it into the uh, one of the, the Facebook trust. Um, effectively, what, what, what does that mean? The end user is paying for the privilege of holding uh, Libra in a ostensibly secure 
secure bank. So how is it paying for the privilege? Because you're not getting any interest on your, your deposits. So why is that worrisome? Well, Facebook is trying to get this full reserve bank to be regulated as not a bank, right? And that's where a lot of the, I think that's the, so the, the small amount of decentralization that they have serves for that strategy, serves for that, uh, serves to negotiate with the regulators to say, well, we're actually not one entity where this decentralized thing is a decentralized blockchain, uh, you know, sprinkle some, some other buzzwords on this, but it's not a bank. We promise it's not a bank and we don't want it to be regulated as a bank. Now the trouble though, is that it, it works functionally as a bank and if it gets to the scale that we think it could get to very, I mean, Facebook could very easily get a trillion dollars in there. Uh, 10 trillion. Is that possible? I mean, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's hard to imagine there being that amount of capital in there. It'd be one of the largest banks in the world at that point. And then the way this is designed, you know, it's then it becomes a bank that's actually too big to fail. That's lit, that this one would really be the one the type of bank that's too big to fail because there's nobody that could bail it out. There's no, there's no government that has real jurisdiction over it. Um, the governance is governed by, you know, the, the association members, which is just effectively an LLC. It's, it's the investors. So there's this really disturbing and, and, and perplexing sort of situation that Facebook could find itself in where, um, it runs one of the largest banks that's too big to fail and the end users don't really have any recourse to that. Don't have any say in, in, in where. Why it would where, fail. Like this is a good reason why it would never launch. And this is kind of the arguments we're seeing, mm. you know, like Meltem did a really great job. She went for congressional committee and she, she was, uh, she, she laid it out. I mean, this is, these are the exact points we keep bringing up and people are hearing this and going, Hey, Facebook, stop. So why do you think they're going to succeed despite this? I don't know what governments can do to stop them. Honestly, so I don't I don't know what the US government would be willing to do to stop them. Um, again, I think there's a lot of circus going on with the with the congressional hearings. But think about it, like the US would probably have to rewrite a lot of its banking regulations to be able to stop Libra. I mean, they could. They, they obviously Congress could obviously pass a law. Well, no, but, there's laws that say you're not allowed to make a currency that competes with the U.S. dollar. So they could just use leveraged ones that are already existing. Like, what, what, what is, what is the thing that you think will sway them to okay this? Because I have a feeling that's what it's going to take. I, I mean, straight mm -hmm. up, I, they control the power of force, and that's a strong, powerful tool. And they do have the ability to draft laws and they do have the ability sure. to look at the current existing infrastructure, such as the major banks that exist, who won't be happy with this hostile takeover of the economy. And they're already entrenched in what, what's in our current political system. So what makes you think that Facebook could actually succeed? I'm, I'm not really seeing that part. To me, it seemed like it was dead as soon as it was announced. No, I'd so I, I, I disagree. Um, I think that, first of all, I think banks are trying to become technology companies and technology companies are trying to become banks. I think that's the bigger story that's going on. And so if you had the US, you know, if you had Congress pass some kind of a law that forced technology companies to stop being banks 
and banks not be technology companies, you're gonna have actually a lot of people upset. And, and I think it's un, it would probably be challenged as unconstitutional anyway. So I think there's a bunch of other challenges that, and this is kind of comes down to like what I call the uh, adolescence of geopolitical significance of blockchains. Um, you know, in a world that was where the dollar's dominance was unquestioned, where um, uh, geopolitical alliances between nation states were stable, um, a space for something like Libra to succeed would be small. Um, just like in this, in in the in the same space that if that was true, I think even demand for Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies would be much smaller than it is today. Um, I think the you have long running trends um, in geopolitics, and I'm I'll, we'll go through them, but uh, that like enormously influence this. The other thing to understand is this has all happened before. The origin of the Federal Reserve system is a group of of techno of upstart technologically significant financial firms seizing power from both um, the state governments um, and the legacy banking infrastructure that was uh, based in Philadelphia from New York and being like we are the most technically sophisticated actors we are the ones who have the have the have the the most reach the most ability to access capital markets and we're going to actually displace uh, uh, you and not only was the Federal Reserve a privately created entity that was only later incorporated and sort of integrated with the government, but still is a private entity. Um, that uh, uh, so a okay, this has all happened before. So in all likelihood, it will happen again. Uh, the second piece that is worth uh, uh, observing is the deep instability around the dollar's dominance. Um, that after you know the September 11th terrorist attacks, the U.S. government turned the dollar financial global financial system into a global like the dollar into a surveillance instrument, um, and that really undermined uh, the rest of the world's desire to transact in dollars because it comes with so much surveillance attached to it. Um, and then you have this, uh, you have things like what just happened with Brexit. Um, you know, I think I, I've commented before that I think. Uh, one big winner, probably of the uh, of the of the uh, of Boris of the Conservatives in the UK's uh, majority and dominance in the last election is now that they have a major nation state that is going to be probably aggressively looking for these kinds of um, uh, collateralized large scale fintech things. Um, you know, the UK has already been one of the um, most progressive places for doing banking innovation in the world. Uh, and that was when it was still under EU banking regulation. And that won't be true within a year or two. Okay. So why, why do you think people are going to adopt Facebook then? Let's talk about the social implication of this. Why specifically Facebook, given the fact that they are taking on so much heat? I actually see a project like Oprah and Libra being a easier sell than Facebook's Libra because not because just, I, I understand that there's an, you know, they already have apps on most devices, yada, 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 and an infrastructure to support this. However, I also kind of look at it as them having a major PR problem that they're not going to be able to overcome. Do you think they will? I mean, like why, why Libra? I think Oprah Libra has a good shot. So what my take on what I think is going to happen is, um, 
either um, you know the narrative will shift um, in Facebook's favor, and you'll see something that uh, that you know more closely resembles what they proposed this year in terms of Libra actually getting into production, or the narrative will continue to be adverse to Facebook. But the simple fact that Facebook sort of opened up this mm -hmm. um, is going to create so many, like a giant list of hundreds of other corporate entities that will explore similar structures. And, you know, eventually one will succeed and Facebook may just partner with the whoever succeeds or the top three that succeed. Um, like if this doesn't like the reality of 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 how this plays out is it doesn't is for Facebook to bring their existing network effects to the um, uh, to this opportunity um, that is clear that is opening up. Um, they don't need to do they don't need to just charge ahead with Libra. They may have just they've already created enough space. Um, that something like Libra seems to me to be inevitable if it's not if even if it's not doesn't directly come from Libra. I feel as though that the the, the, the quality of success or the, the likelihood of success is heavily dependent upon um, who joins these networks and the capital they bring to them. How are these things are backed in the distribution of those funds? And it's it seems as though like Facebook and Co have that figured out. They they have a good idea on how to do it. They it seems as though they can potentially get a lot of people to throw money at that. If you feel that ten trillions or oh, tens of, of trillions out. can get into that, how does how does an open system do this? Does, does it does it does it need? Can it even compete with something like that? Because it certainly it certainly can't do it from a physical asset standpoint. It has to do it from something that's like a digital asset, a digital scarcity. Well, that's an interesting point. And, and again, what we're committed to is to researching the different types of stablecoin implementations that are sensible for global adoption. I think that's the, that's the, the commitment that we have. But I think the, the Libra model is, could actually be replicated um, quite, quite nicely among many affinity groups. So any small, any medium-sized, let's say 100,000 people that were using such a network, um, they could, I think that's sort of the, you know, population of 100,000 people could uh, easily pay for the administration costs of, of an organization, organization like this. And again, remember that the Facebook assets actually in, in their design and the Libra design, the assets come from the end users. You know, they did, you know, you do have some money that's put up by the by the association members, but the model is predicated on the end users actually putting up the capital for it. I think generally, I think there are two ways to think about stable coins, generally speaking, and it's about who pays for the stability. So you have the Libra model where, and, and it's the same thing as the circle model and any of these fully, fully collateralized assets. Um, the, so these models, it's basically the, the network that has to pay for the, the stability somehow. So the network has to get capital uh, into, into the network and remunerate that capital so that it stays there, um, you know, fully backing the, the coin. So effectively, the network needs to pay someone to put money in. Now, there are other models which are quite interesting, and that's the, the, the maker model, for example, which is basically using 
uh, creating a, a mortgage market. And in that case, the person paying for the stability is actually the person taking the loan. So it's actually the person providing the capital. And that's quite an interesting model because it scales differently. It, and, and it's actually probably more um, decentralizable, generally speaking. So I think those are two models that a network that's running, that's trying to create uh, and, and use a global stable asset. Those are two models that could be used. Um, the Facebook one is easy to implement and uh, the administration costs are not actually that high as, as it might seem. Um, and there's a lot of precedent for it, legal precedent. Yeah, there's, for it. Yeah, there's regulatory kind of clear waters when it comes to that one. Yeah. The maker model is less, uh, it, it's less proven in the regulatory sense. It's still, it's still, as I, I consider it a renegade, uh, bank. Um, but it could, it could become, um, have, have more regular regulatory certainty, but it also lends itself well to decentralization. So, you know, I know that you've you basically said consensus is a solved problem, Zaki, and, and I understand that. I, I kind of agree with you. Um, but Libra only scales but so much. It scales to 100 nodes, and that's because it is a classical protocol. And there's certainly yeah, like, that's completely it, nonsense. Like, Libra doesn't scale to 100 nodes. I mean, we, so based on just like, like, uh, uh, level of maturity questions. Mm -hmm. um, so, we ran Tendermint at 206 nodes during Game of Stakes. Um, okay. um, and it was running at basically the same block time the Cosmos Hub is running right now. Um, okay. If we wanted it to be 500 nodes, I, it would probably work. Um, and there's a level of small number though, Zach. I mean, like that's really, really, that's why it's, a, it's you're using classical no, 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 no. Protocols because it will, Use the classical consensus protocols because it has features which Nakamoto consensus does not, meaning that it's so got faster right? right now is a consensus of like twelve nodes. So like let's like not be like super excited about how scalable Nakamoto could the truth in the real world. The bigger problems when I say like consensus is a solved problem is we don't really have a mechanism of economically rewarding paying for the operating costs, incentivizing the sovereignty of even a few hundred nodes today. Like those, that's the upper limit. The upper limit is not, can we write a consensus protocol with a million nodes in it? The, the upper, the limit is how would we even pay people through that system, through a system to like actually be, to like spend time and energy on known management um, and like actual have like sovereign independence of those nodes. Those are really the, the fundamental challenges at the current moment, not the question of, um, of like, oh, can I write a consensus protocol with more nodes in it? Um, like we can add, we, you know, we could change the Cosmos hub to have 500 or a thousand nodes tomorrow. We couldn't pay those people with a billion dollar network. Um, you probably need something on the order of, you know, hundred billion dollar networks before you can even start getting into the realm where you can pay thousands of nodes. Um, yeah, I mean, of course, that also is dependent on the cost of running a node. If the, the cost of running a node is negligible, whatever, why not, right? Um, you know, and I'm going to push back on that idea because it's not the cost of running the node; it's the cost of the human being's time to like 
analyze the updates, understand what's happening on their node, figure out whether, you know, participate in governance, all of those questions, um, which is what the what is what like sovereignty brings, like and what that that's what it means to be like a sovereign economic node operator. Um, passive node operators that just, you know, like we get an automatic update to my node, I push yes every time. Uh, and I don't know anything more, do not add any value to the decentralization of these systems. Yeah, yeah, and that's also another good reason why you should have multiple implementations of every node software that's out there by multiple people. It would just diversify the network and stop that kind of stuff from happening. But yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying. At the same time, though, I'm looking at this and I'm going, okay, we do, we're looking at a target world where IoT devices might be able to exchange on this kind of stuff. Um, if you have 100 nodes, you're still looking at... Why does your IoT device need to be a consensus node? What is the benefit? Your IoT device does not need to be a consensus node. It needs to be able to manually sense transactions. So it needs some sort of endpoint to communicate with. Is this going to be one of these 100 nodes, or is it going to be distribute the load across something else? You see what I mean? And so as we have more things trying to transact... You can have ingress that scale, like ingress on transactions that scales quite nicely. Again, like this all like works on Cosmos today. Um, like you're not ingressing, like at some point you have to gossip to the block or to one of the block creators. Um, like that's inevitable. Uh, but like, uh, you know, and Libra actually has like a, has a great mempool design. Uh, it's like one of my favorite pieces of the pieces of the code. Uh, I've been strongly advocating for, it was actually roughly the design that I was thinking about for like Tendermint's mempool 2.0. Um, but had like a bunch of annoying, complicated design pro uh, problems. And then I like looked at the Libra design and I'm like, oh yeah, that you've solved all the problems. Okay, we're gonna steal that back. Um, I would argue anyway. that none of that matters right now. Um, it, we're having a hard time trying to make blockchain networks that- Trying to get to user experience. I know, um, we're having, we're having, I think, hold on. That. We're having a hard time making blockchain networks and making the rules in such a way where the people who use them benefit from it. And so when you make these things, you always have to ask who's using it and who benefits from their use. And that I think it's, it's quite asymmetric across the board. And Facebook will not be different. And so like the goal and all of this is to find incentivization mechanisms, which I think was actually was getting to, is that like, how do we design these systems in such a way where the rules tend towards quote unquote good use and then how do you define good and the, the consensus mechanism is a integral part of that for sure because that usually ends up being um how you distribute money in a lot of ways uh, especially like fee collectors and those people who are actually doing the work of running the network so on and so forth but like like we're like how are you going to solve like is is is, is open libra an attempt to solve these problems or is it just like okay cool let's make sure that those who participate in libra have a place to go when shit hits the fan no i think we definitely need to solve the use case problem like i said i think that that is the problem of all blockchain networks today is that we need use cases that are that actually need to use these um, technologies and pay the cost for the technologies. And I think that the biggest problem we have <clears throat> generally as an industry is that we're all trying to build products for ourselves in 
mostly rich countries, so United States and uh, Europe, um, and to a large and to a certain degree in, in Asia. But we don't need a lot of these technologies. So we have good information in markets. We have pretty good confidentiality in in, in certain um, in our dealings with um, with financial institutions, but um, you know, the places that actually need these these new technologies are in developing nations. I mean, so you know, how how can we create new markets in these places using using technologies? That's the type of exploration that I think we need to do. And at Open Libra, we're we're partnering with the nonprofits that are most interested in, in doing that and, and that have been doing that historically. So uh, the Danish Red Cross, for example, is one of our uh, supporters and they participate in governance uh, at Open Libra. And we're uh, designing a lot of our technology and, and application layer um, tools for the use cases that they're coming up with. And this is these are things like uh, microinsurance, microcredit, local currencies, um, these these are actual tools that are useful in large parts of the world that blockchain can actually do something about. Um, I'm actually quite skeptical that blockchain can offer m much value for folks in the United States or, or in Europe. Um, yeah, I kind of see where you're coming from with that. You need a, you need at least an order of magnitude higher, uh, better user experience, better feature set in order for people to just look at it these days and or any days really. I mean, and um, blockchain as it stands is actually a step down from our current system from a user experience perspective. And this is something I'm kind of concerned about when people design these systems lately is I'm noticing that, you know, the people want like instant finality on layer one. You look at them, you go, you can't do that. We go, well, my my current main, you know, mainframe system can. So it's like, well, how do you, how do you talk to those people? Um, and so uh, I'm kind the of current, like the current mainframe system does batch jobs overnight, and they have clearinghouses. <laughs> perceptually, the same thing. You know what I mean? Hmm. So, like, how do you talk to these people who, by the way, don't need to know all that information? And how do you hide that the, the details of the operation? And it seems like a lot of what we're doing in this space is exposing how we do things, and that gives developers, you know, confidence and the hardcore confidence. But in the end, really, what we want to give confidence to. Is the people who will be using this, and that's generally, from a from an institutional level, people who are not as savvy uh, as we are. And um, you know, as it stands, a lot of these current systems don't provide that. I think Libra has a chance because it is a using classical consensus protocols, which I know it does provide some of the features that I think we could maybe make this get off the ground. I think it's great that Open, Open Libra is using it. I think it's great Tendermint uses it, um, uses hot stuff. Um, it's a great algorithm. Um, and uh, you know, I think uh, I think it's really uh, I think it's really important though that we focus on how we're going to sell this to people because at this point, I don't uh, I don't see people um, even on on in the hardcore level like oh I'm a hardcore Bitcoin user actually using it all that much for like day to day things you know you can't buy a coffee through the Lightning Network like they promised so I'm kind of you know I'm kind of ex interested to see how this plays out. Yeah, let's wrap it up a little bit. Um, it's still, like we could go on this for hours, clearly. Um, but uh, I know with your that's your, why we have like a weekly open Libra meeting because we do go on about this for hours, and it's just like a iterative conversation trying to 
and and one of many iterative conversations that I'm part of uh, trying to like address these uh, these topics. And I think most of the the call to action is, you know, uh, for for people who are listening is to actually start participating in these conversations, either, you know, come to show up at Open Libra or in some other context, but actually start building communities of people who are working on this this process. Uh, Where do they go? You go to our GitHub and you you can add a, a comment or a request anywhere in there and you can come to our um, weekly weekly meetings as well. Awesome. Uh, definitely appreciate you guys uh, coming on and explaining kind of the, the current state of things, uh, what's happened, what we're doing now and where we're going. Uh, and I, I look forward to, to learning more and, and hopefully contributing as well. Right. Colin, yeah. Colin runs one of our dev, our DevNet. Uh, I signed up. Yeah, I've yet to actually run it. I just got I just got signed up though, so I'm really stoked about that. Um, so I'll be happy to participate in the Open Libre project. Look forward to it. Yeah, happy to be and happy to be on the show, guys. L little known fact: Colin is my first follower on on Twitter. All yeah. right, look at you, Colin. <laughs> <laughs> And all it takes is a first follower, right? That's where you get started. Yep. Without a first follower, there won't be a second. So, yeah. Cool. Anyway, thanks for coming on, guys. This is great. Appreciate it. Zaki, as always. <laughs>